0: and the USOPC in no way warrants that content of featured in Olympic Fever is accurate. Thanks for listening, and now on to the show.
1: The doctor took an x-ray of my bones and he said, man, he goes, what is it that you do?
2: Mesdames and Messieurs,
3: the greatest festival of our contemporary society, the Olympic Games, is about to begin. This is going to be
4: close. Ah!
2: Is an Ready.
3: Hello and welcome to another episode of Olympic Fever. I am your host, Jill Jarris, joined as always by my lovely co-host, Allison Brown. Alison, hello. How are you today? I am very well. How are you doing? I am great. I am feeling pumped because we are doing judo today. hi <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, they, don't, they don't say that, do they? No, I don't think so. No, no. I, I did not so. We didn't hear any of that. But I gotta say I was not incredibly excited about doing judo. This was our contributor Ben Jackson made this interview happen. But once we were done with it, I was all about judo. There you go. I know. That's why we do what we do. We do what we do and because I, I will tell you, I watched judo at the tried to watch judo during Rio and would be like oh the match is four minutes okay I'm gonna look away for two seconds BAM the match is over I'm like wait what happened to the other like two minutes and 37 seconds of this match because the show was over and I didn't understand how the scoring worked it was really frustrating and then I just got more frustrated and Ben was all excited because Kayla Harrison won her second gold medal and Marty Malloy was doing really well and so he was all about this and I couldn't talk with him about it at all because I just didn't get it and was very frustrated.
2: So, and you were frustrated with the fashion.
3: Yes, I was. So, fr- I, I do get. Issues. I do have clothes issues with judo because they wear these very. They wear uniforms called gi's, which are basically very wide pants, um, which I like the pants and a a coat over. You know, like a basic t-shirt or something like that. But this coat that's doesn't have any closures and how you tie it to you. You put a belt around it to tie it together, and because the sport is the way it is you're grabbing people and trying to throw them you're constantly grabbing this gi jacket out of the belt so they're tying and retying the jackets all over again all match long but i get it now i get it and i'm i'm more okay now it's not gonna bother you no not as much so anyway to understand judo better ben set up an interview with jimmy pedro Jimmy is a four-time Olympian and two-time bronze medalist, winning his medals in his first and last Olympic games. So he won the first in Atlanta 1996 and his last at Athens 2004, and he was also 5th in Sydney 2000. So he's got a million other medals under his belt, including a world championship and six US national championships. He's also the US's most successful judo coach. He was team USA judo coach for the 2012 and 2016 Olympics and coached Kayla Harrison to two Olympic gold medals, a first for the U.S. in this sport. And now he runs Pedro's Judo Center in Wakefield, Massachusetts. And Ben and I went out there for a visit and a chat with the legend. Take a listen. Let's talk first about the sport itself. Martial arts. Why is martial arts different than sports? It's
1: not just physical. Okay. Martial arts just aren't physical. They're they're mind body together, so there's a there's a strong mental component to martial arts training about being disciplined. It's very spiritual as well. You know when we come in, we're respectful of all people. You know there there's certain rules and regulations and traditions that are passed down from the Asian uh, countries. Judo is a Japanese martial art, so bowing and showing respect when you enter the dojo or the academy that you train at. Bowing to your teacher as a way of saying thank you, bowing to your competitor as a way of saying, you know, thank you for giving me your best, thank you for working with me today. So, we, we teach the, the students an attitude of gratitude. So, it goes much, much beyond, uh, you know, the physical aspect of just playing a game or playing a sport. It's about the traditions of the sport, it's about humanity, it's about learning, you know, discipline, character, humility. You know, And it's also fully complete where we study the art of the sport and we study the history of the sport and the movements of the sport and how that breaks down and translates into self-defense and sport and then also there's an educational component to it where the founder of Judo, Jigoro Kano, really wanted all of his students to, to be intelligent and to also you know be physically fit and be able to defend themselves and so it's it's more it's more about life than anything
3: else and as you progress there is there's ranks belts correct so where does that start where do you start with and and
1: everybody day one starts with a white belt okay and you know different countries have different levels of belts or different colors but Everybody in the sport of judo starts with a white belt, and really the aspiration is to become a black belt. Okay. In between, there may be yellow, orange, green, blue, purple. Brown is designated as an adult rank, somebody that's serious about training, who's reached a, uh, you know, a good level, and that's across the board in all countries. Mm-hmm. And then black belt is the, the level of you know, sort of mastery of the sport. Even though it's it said that once you get your black belt, your training now just begins because you have a good enough level, now you can take to the next level and there's 10 degrees of black belt. That
3: was my next question. So, there's more degrees on top of that. Right.
1: So there's different degrees of black and then the black becomes a red and white belt at sixth degree black belt. Okay. Sixth and seventh is red and white, then eighth degree black belt is a solid red belt. And then 10th degree black belt is really, you start back over, it's almost a double white belt. But there's really the founder of Judo and maybe like five other people on the planet ever have achieved that rank or been given that rank.
3: Okay. So what differentiates the degrees in a black belt? Oh, in in the black belt? Yeah, within a black belt. It's
2: time
1: and grade. It's how long have you been a black belt and have you continued training and perfecting the art Mm -hmm. since your first degree black belt? And what contribution have you made to the sport? So Mm -hmm. you could... You could contribute by competing and mm-hmm. achieving a higher level of, of proficiency in competition. So you prove your rank and you're ready for the next belt by beating other black belts on a okay. regular basis. Um, you can earn that through kata or, or forms where you've mastered certain number of forms to a degree. You can earn that by giving back to the sport as a, as a coach. No longer competing, no longer doing kata, but also giving back to the sport and, and teaching children and, and taking them to events and having your students achieve success. You could also earn rank from refereeing and giving back to the sport by refereeing. All of those, regardless of what avenue you take to reach the next level of black, you still have to continue to practice the sport and come to dojo judo training mm-hmm. and still skill development. Okay, But you don't necessarily have to compete, you don't mm-hmm. have to referee, you don't have to coach, but you have to do one of those things and then be able to test, there's usually uh, skill requirements. You have to know a certain number of skills to a certain degree and okay. be graded by a board that okay. you prove that you can, you can do these skills. Okay.
3: So, in the, comp- the competitive judo, how does it work? Because I will tell you when I watch judo, I get a little frustrated because I don't understand. You know, it's the we're working up half points, half points, and then all of a sudden, what's the ippon, where show's over?
1: Correct. Oh, so how to score? How yeah, to score how to, in yeah. judo? How do you follow the yeah, scoring? Yeah. So it, it it's they've tried to simplify it greatly. Okay. So the first rule that you have to understand is that in judo, one throw ends the match. It's called an ippon. Ippon means full point. The way you achieve ippon in judo is you take your opponent from a standing position and you throw them directly onto their back. They don't need to land flat on their back. But if you think of the back as a, as a bullseye, right? You're, you're from your shoulder blade down to your sort of waist area. Mm-hmm. If you look at that area as a bullseye, at any time I pick you up and I throw you from your feet straight onto that, any area of that back with force and mm-hmm. control, the match is over. It has to be with force and control onto that part of your back, the bullseye part. So you can land on, you know right on this one shoulder blade really hard, quick. Match over. It's called an ippon. Okay. Anytime there's a score that's less than ippon, now they give it a half point. It's called wazari. Okay. Okay. So now any score, if I, it has to be back exposure. Meaning, if I throw you ten feet in the air, you land on your stomach, it's no score, because I've lost control of your body to put you on your back. But anytime you land on your side, or you land on both your elbows and a little part of your back hits, okay. or maybe you hit your knee first and then you hit your back. They're going to call it a wazari. It's a half a point. You didn't go directly to your back, mm-hmm. and there wasn't enough force to end the fight. We're going to give you a half point. But now, two of those equals ipon. So two half points equals ipon match over. So I have to throw you twice in the match with back exposure to end the fight. Okay. So I have ipon, or I have two wazaris to win by throwing.
4: Okay.
1: In judo, we also have grappling. So I can pin you. Again, hold you down with control on your back where you can't get off all the way onto your stomach. Then I do that for 20 seconds, I win. But unlike wrestling where you have to have both shoulder blades down
4: Mm -hmm.
1: for a two count, I just have to hold you largely onto your back. So you could be all the way on your side, but I've got control. You can't get to your stomach, it's still a pin. Okay. I hold you there for 20 seconds, I score a pwn, match over. (laughs) The other way I can win is, is by submission. So I can strangle you and, and, and until you can't breathe anymore and you tap out, you give up, I win by Or I'm allowed to apply pressure to your elbow joint. It's the only joint in, in judo that we can apply pressure to is the elbow joint. If I unlock you, again you tap out, it hurts, you submit, I win the fight by yippong. So those are largely the four ways to win. Okay. Other than I have more points than you during the fight. Okay. So right? you want
3: to stay on your stomach.
1: You want to stay in your stomach okay. in judo. Stay off okay. your back always. All uh, right. Yes.
3: And you ha- how long is the the match?
1: So now they they they've the rules constantly changing, but right now the fight is 4 minutes in length for okay. both men and women. It used to be 5 for men, 4 for women. They've okay. changed it now so it's 4 for both, but previously you could win by penalty. But now the rules, the way the current rules are, you cannot win a match by a penalty. You have to win by a positive score. So one of us has to throw the other, one of us has to submit the other. So it'll be a four minute match, if there's no score, we're into sudden death, first score wins. Okay. And we keep competing till one of us throws or pins or chokes or arm locks the other. The only exception to that is disqualification. If, you're, if you stall too many times, you'll get disqualified. If you're not aggressive enough or if you make bad false attacks, you're not trying to win the fight, there's ways you could be disqualified, and that would be three, you'd get three penalties in a row and then you're disqualified. Okay.
4: So, it, but if you're starting, the judo matches, when I've watched them, people are starting and they stand up. Yep. And if you get that half a point, I, you know, somebody's thrown and, yep. and they land, do they move immediately into grappling or does it stop?
1: It, it, it continues directly into grappling. Okay. Uh, it, it will continue directly into grappling for a period of time until there's a stalemate position. When okay. there's a stalemate position, the referee will stand them back up. There's not enough progress going on here. We're going to stand back up and start on our feet again. Okay. Now, some, some athletes choose not to do any of the groundwork. So they might throw you and just let you back up. Because okay. if I can throw you again, why am I going to wrestle you on the ground? You're good on the ground. I don't want to wrestle you on the ground. I'm just going to throw you, make you stand back up, and I'll throw you again to end the match. Right. So that's what you might have seen. Yeah. But in in theory, after a throw, if it's not Epon, you continue grappling.
4: Yeah. And when you look at the different matches and, and having seen them, do you, do you tend to see more wins by sort of big throws, or do you see more wins by grappling, or is it I'm building up the points through the throws or through the grappling?
1: More wins through throws.
4: Okay. With the,
1: the popularity of jiu-jitsu and, and the, you know many people understanding groundwork now because of mixed martial arts and because of the growth of explosion of jiu-jitsu, the sport of judo is allowing more time on the ground than it has ever before because now people have an understanding. They're not bored to death anymore. They understand what's going on on the ground now. Yeah. And so judo has allowed more groundwork to happen in it in our sport as well and and what we're seeing now is a greater number of wins by submission or pin or choke than ever before but it's mainly because that's the trend everybody's sort of understanding has knowledge and is focusing more time on the ground yeah therefore there's but but still a greater majority of matches are won by standing techniques and throws because probably 80 percent of judo training worldwide is done on your feet Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of focus by other countries on the ground game. Yeah. So if everybody practices on your feet, then when you go to tournaments, they're going to
4: be good on their feet and they're going to focus on their feet. So if if you were in a match and you're both on your feet, but you saw an opportunity to choke a guy, would that happen on the feet or would he just generally go right to a throw?
1: Well, because if if you jump on my back and then I end up getting you onto the, the... onto your back, you're putting yourself in too
4: risky of a situation, I'm going to throw okay. you to win. Yeah, yeah, you know, that makes sense. You'd have to
1: do the choke and take me to the ground or finish on the ground.
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the chokes are not airway chokes typically, right? You're... Typically blood chokes, you
1: know, stopping yeah. the circulation from going up the vein to the to the brain. To the brain, okay. It's a, temporarily, it's a temporary cutting off of the, the oxygen to the brain through the bloodstream.
3: Okay. How much fun is that to experience?
1: <laughs> Actually, to, ironically enough and comically enough, one of my buddies on the national team used to let me choke him out before practice. Really, it's just the thrill of getting. Because when you wake back up, there's sort of like a buzzing, numbing. Oh. You don't. You forget where you are. <laughs> you know. For, wow. Don't forget about it. Your brain is. Your brain has not got oxygen for a few seconds. Yeah. So what happens is your brain, to protect its organs, it shuts off. Yeah. Right? And so you forget, and when you wake up, there's a period of time where you don't know where you are, and it's also like the blood coming back into your, or the oxygen going back to your brain, the blood going back to your brain, it kind of is a numbing sensation. Sort of, when, you're, when your leg falls asleep, or your hand falls asleep, when it comes back, there's like, ah, it feels good. When you wake up, it's like, it's a little bit of a buzz, and then you wake up and you go, oh, wow, where was I? <laughs> It's like kind of waking up, you know? (laughs) Sometimes you go to sleep and you forget where you are. It's like waking up in a hotel, right? Yeah. Sometimes you're like, oh, I forgot where I
4: was. (laughs) Same kind of feeling. So then when people are watching the sport, right, and and they're watching two people try and kind of go through this chess match of Mm -hmm. I'm going to try and throw you or once we get on the ground I'm going to try and pin you or whatever... What's kind of the best way for a novice to look at that match, do you think? What should they be watching for?
1: The one part that I think most people don't understand is that the person that controls the, the grabbing of the uniform, whoever grabs the uniform better than the other, like the grip on the uniform means a lot. So a lot of people, novices, when they watch, they say, why don't they just grab that gi? Why do they keep, you know, breaking the grip? And Because if you give somebody too much control, they're gonna slam you I mean, yeah. it, it's a fact right i mean it's like in wrestling right they head and hands defense and they they go underhook somebody gets an underhook the other guy backs away fast because you're giving them too much control of your body right it's the same in judo they're fighting for that grip on the uniform the person that gets the 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 most advantageous grip then has the best chance of scoring and throwing the other person so there's a big fight for grips first once the gripping happens, and then there's sort of the attacking that takes place after that. And, and it's literally, it's, it's a push-pull sort of tug-of-war. Right. You sort of have to feel where your opponent is moving and how they're defending in order to throw them in, in, in that direction. So, so Judo is translated as the gentle way or the way of getting out of the way of force. And using your opponent's sort of strength and momentum to your advantage to then throw them. Right. So... You know, if, if you and I were pushing each other, and I was pushing as hard as I could and you were pushing as hard back, what I would do is I'd push as hard as I can for a second or two just to get you to push back on me. When you push back on me as hard as you can, then I let go and I just throw, I, I get out of the way and I just throw you by. You know, much like if you saw like NFL linebacker, NFL like defenseman trying to get past the guy blocking, you know, a lot of time they swim the arm and they, they shuck him by. Basically, you're just getting out of the way of their force. Yeah. In judo, we use that force to to throw you. You know, we use that momentum to throw you with different techniques. So as you're watching it, even though the gripping part can look boring for the athlete, they're trying to win the fight. They don't care how boring it looks for you. We're trying to win. We don't want to lose. We're trying our (laughs) life for this. I'm not giving this guy a good grip until I'm ready to engage. And so that's sort of the cat and mouse. It's it's similar to fencing, right? And you watch fencing. You see them smacking the things, smacking the thing, slow, slow, slow. And then all of a sudden, someone will make an offensive move. When they go for it, either they score or the person counters them and scores on them. Judo's the same way. You know, it's why are they doing this pitter-pat thing? That's kind of why we do yeah. it. Yeah. So but,
3: then I'm guessing there are a million ways to grip people, mm-hmm. like and you have to size up your opponent like where on the body would be good to grip them correct okay
1: correct so it's it's based on it's based on leverage it's based okay. you know tall people you're never going to grab a tall person up high around the neck you're going to grab them on the chest or the lapel you know and then there's also left-sided players and right-sided players so if they're if they stand a certain way then they're exposed to certain techniques versus if they stand the other way so in you know, orthodox and south, you know orthodox and southpaw in boxing same thing it's hard to fight a lefty in boxing because you're usually fighting righties. So the way you move, it, it differs, right? Because you, you don't walk into a lefty's punch. You, you circle away from their power hand. So it's same thing in judo. There's a, a way to engage a lefty versus a righty, a way to grab a lefty versus a righty. So there's more to it than just go grab the pajamas and throw them.
4: How long does it take you if, if we're on the mat now and we're standing across from each other, do you quickly, are you able to sort of quickly analyze how this guy is going to be, or, or does it, do you kind of have to learn that as the fight goes on?
1: Well, with the evolution of, of technology in the sport, there's almost no athlete that we don't understand today. Yeah. That we've never seen before on the national circuit. Do you know what I mean? so, thankful for, you know, videography, thankful for the IJF really stepping up the professionalism of the game. We have instant video we have live feeds of every competition now everything that's on the international circuit is always live streamed on the internet so i watch all of my fighters in my in this country and all the fighters around the world in every division men and women compete in every event on the circuit and there's a database of all of those players in their fights so you can look up any athlete in the database and it'll spit out their last you know 50 50 matches that they've competed in so you can watch video on anybody and everybody that's top 250 in the world wow you know so it's it's now it's almost impossible that you would go against an opponent you've never seen before yeah unless they're from some obscure country in africa and they've never competed before but it just doesn't happen but to answer your question even if i didn't have any video on this person i would be able right off the get-go if it's the first time i've ever seen them play just by the way they stand and they uh, approach me, I'd know if they're left or right-sided instantly. I'd know that. And certainly after the first time I grabbed their gi, I would know if they're left or they're right-sided instantly. So that tells me right now which techniques I'm going to look for and not look for. How I'm going to control his body, you know, and um, just where to put my hands and and where to move, which direction to move.
4: Yeah, yeah.
3: When... You look at uh, other competitors around the world. What are some of the regional differences that you see?
1: Great question. So the the Asian countries, you know, Japan, Korea. Even there's a difference between the Japanese and the Koreans as well. But the Japanese are very, very technical, very fluid. It, it's you know when you talk about the gentle way and giving way, it's it's a feel that they have, and, and they've done it since birth you know, all the way through junior high school, high school, college. And you're talking coming from a program that's the number one sport in their nation. So those athletes coming up through the system, they have such a good feel for the sport and and the level of technical expertise they have is far greater than the rest of the world because the knowledge is passed down from instructor to instructor to student. And the Japanese, like they're not very physical but they're very technical and fluid in their movements. So very quick, fast, and, and they get a reaction and then they just throw. The Koreans are the same, except the Koreans also bring a very physical aspect to the game. They're very sh- very hard strength and conditioning programs, lots of stadium stair runs, lots of you know uh, weight training. So they have a, a quick, fast pace like the Japanese, but they're also physical players. Now the Japanese have become the maybe 10 years ago they were getting beat quite a bit. The rules have have since changed that that really benefit the Japanese now. but 10 years ago they didn't. you know there was a lot of leg grabbing, there was a lot of tackling, there was a lot of wrestling where it was a physical sport and a lot of people were able to sort of beat up the Japanese physically. But now the gripping game has changed. They've changed all the rules and and so now it benefits them more. But even they are becoming more physical and, and, and more forward thinking in their approach to the sport. They're, you look at the Japanese team now and they've, they're all carrying muscle with them, they're weight training seriously, their strength and conditioning is as a professional athlete, whereas before they just did judo. Now they're adding the strength and conditioning component, component to it. Now they're even more difficult to beat. But going back to regional, like if you go to the Russian countries or Eastern European, former Eastern European countries, very, very physical, still have a good technical side, but the physicality and in, in the power of the athlete is entirely different. And the way they grab the uniform in an unorthodox way is also different. So, you know, coming from uh, an NCAA wrestling, I was a division one wrestler in, in college. You know, I was used to people grabbing my legs, picking me up in a physical game. So for me, I was able to compete with the Europeans, no problem, because I was used to that sort of physicality. But a lot of people aren't. You know, and then I'd say, Brazil is Brazil has a big Japanese population and as a result they have a very technical side to their game as well. And that's why one of they're one of the leading nations in the
4: in the world in the sport of judo. I didn't realize Brazil was I you know, yeah. I but I guess I'm I'm caught up with the Brazilian jiu-jitsu, right? Like that's what you hear about and
1: And it, it Brazilian jiu jitsu is is tiny in comparison to Olympic judo
4: in Brazil. Interesting. Okay. Because
1: it's it it is strange because there are certain countries where judo is the number one sport, at least Olympic sport. You know, because there's there's also paid sports. I mean, we know soccer is the number one sport in the world, right? Because yeah. of the amount of money and the amount of attention that goes into it, and the accessibility of every, every kid can play soccer as long as they have a ball, right? But in the sport in in Brazil, you know, the country only wins about ten medals at each Olympic games. Well, if you know five of them are coming from judo they're going to invest a lot of money in their judo program because they're already have a success so let's invest more yeah so that it's sort of the cinderella sport in brazil judo it's much like you know women's gymnastics in this country or you know swimming or track and field it's the one we win the most at it's the one that's always on television as a result and therefore it's the one that gets the most funding and the most kids want to go into those sports because that's where the stars are it's the same with judo in brazil it's the one that's always on television during the Olympics. It's the one that bring the country, brings the country pride. The government throws a lot of money at it. More kids want to do it. It's just this vicious cycle of, of excellence. Yeah. the same way with Japan and Judo. You know, Right now, Judo is the number one Olympic sport for the Japanese. Every Olympics is the number one sport. They win the most medals in Judo. So going into Tokyo 2020, I mean, they have a $20 million per year budget to develop their teams to win medals for Japan. It's the country, you know, probably a judo player carrying the flag for Japan at the Olympics. And most likely, they're counting on, you know, at least, you know, five to eight gold medals from judo to support their country.
4: Well, so we have like 330 million people or whatever it is in the U.S. We have big sporting programs all over and that kind of thing. How is it that we don't have... I mean, shouldn't there be enough people that we could fill out a huge judo team, or do you kind of lose some of the folks to football or baseball who might become strong judo players, or wrestling even, maybe?
1: There's a lot of challenges as to why we don't have a lot of people doing judo. We could talk for probably 10 hours, and I'll give you you 100 (laughs) different reasons why. But one is the accessibility of the sport. There's not enough places for people to go To learn judo there's not enough judo clubs and judo instructors in this country okay that's number one right because if you think about the town of wakefield massachusetts the mentality of parents is we want our kids to get involved in activities sports activities right and so we started maybe five or six looking for activities for our kids well we have organized everything today there's nothing that's not organized and there's nothing your town doesn't have You want to go learn to swim. You want to learn to play, you know, soccer. You want to do football, pop water. You want to play t-ball, baseball. You want to go to Gymboree and gymnastics. And whatever it is, it's all there in that town. Well, I happen to be in Wakefield, so we have a lot of people doing judo in Wakefield. But if you go to Methuen, Massachusetts, where I live, there's not a single judo place. So the closest judo place you can go if you come from Methuen is Wakefield. No parent's going to take their kid 30 minutes away in today's society to go try judo it's right too far yeah. i'm not going to sacrifice that much of my time because mom and dad both work and there's so many of these other activities that they can do and so and they don't know the difference between judo karate taekwondo anything my... else oh no there's a, there's a karate school i'm gonna take my kid there you know so judo is not accessible enough if there was a judo school in every single town in the country then we'd have a lot of judo players right but logistically it's not possible And then on top of that, if you don't have a good judo place to go, a good instructor who does it as a business or who is professional, then your experience isn't that good either, right? So I mean, that's what Brazilian jiu-jitsu has right now. They have the power of marketing behind them. The UFC and all MMA organizations have sort of identified jiu-jitsu as the sport that we talk about, what rank they're in, so that we can validate who they are in MMA. Right, this guy is a brown belt under Henzo Gracie. This guy is a purple belt under this other organization. Like they always tell you what rank they are in Jiu-Jitsu. They never tell you like, oh, this guy's you know ultimate MMA, kickboxing, whatever. You you hear about it, but they never talk about Judo. They never talk about Karate. Like they just don't talk about their rank in any other sport. So therefore, that marketing power has put people in Jiu-Jitsu academies across this country. Because now yeah. people watching UFC or MMA, well, oh, I know how to do that kimura, I know how to do that arm lock, I know how to, what the choke is. You know they they understand the positions. Yeah, and when you understand a sport, you watch it more. Right,
3: right, right. right. What gets people hooked on judo?
1: Good question. Well, I can say from from my own my own experience in teaching kids, judo judo for kids is is the funnest like is the funnest sport and girls particularly gravitate towards judo more than boys at a young age because there's no other sport that girls can do that's physical that's truly hands-on physical girls don't play football girls don't really play ice hockey unless they play on a boys team at a young age there's not enough girls to do it right right so what do they play They play soccer they play basketball but it's still not physical sports so when like my judo school i almost have half half girls half boys and the girls love it because They can actually interact and be physical and, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, get stronger. And they just like it because they can't get it anywhere else. Yeah. Right? So it's it's a great sport for girls. But in terms of physical development, in terms of coordination, developing strength, getting confidence, self-defense, there's no better sport for a child to teach them, like, life lessons and to help them protect themselves than Judo because it's hands-on. Right? We know that like any guy, any person who's wrestled in high school and college can pretty much handle themselves in most situations because they're physically strong enough. Right. Well, judo gives you that same f- level of physicality that wrestling does, but it's a much more fun sport because it has very um, cerebral side to it. You can outsmart your opponent. You can outwit your opponent. You can. It has a feel to it. It's a game, you know, and it and it's much more technical than wrestling. It doesn't matter. How- how good you are at wrestling, if you go against someone that's 50 pounds heavier than you and they're as good, they're crushing you in yeah. wrestling. In judo, you can go against someone that's 50 pounds heavier than you and they can be national something. But if you're Olympic something, your Olympic something will take that national guy and still toss him around, even though he weighs a lot more. Because there's a level of skill and timing to judo that you don't have in wrestling. And so it, it's, it's, a fu- it's a much more fun sport to play. And it's exhilarating when you take someone and you throw them on their back. It's fun. Yeah, You know, I've done both sports. I love wrestling. It's great, but it's a grind, and it's tough, right? <laughs> Judo's a grind, and it's tough, but it's also fun, you know? And so what, what people fall in love with is they, I think they fall in love with the fact that it's it's a fun way to stay in shape, to interact with someone, that, that today I'm better than you, tomorrow you can beat me, the next day I'll beat you, and it's kind of a we've got to keep getting better and outwitting each other. You know, normally if there's two guys that are close in skill, it's very rare that one guy always beats the other guy. It usually goes back and forth quite you know, quite often. Much like tennis, you know, when when guy is on a hot streak in tennis, he'll win and then someone else will just come and knock him off. You know, he's not that hot anymore, he goes in a little bit of a slump, the other guy beats him, and it, it kind of goes back and forth. Whereas in wrestling, if you beat someone, you typically have their number and you just keep beating them.
3: Interesting. So then, like for if we've got listeners who who go, oh, this sounds really good for my kid, what makes judo different slash better or more entertaining more fun or beneficial than say karate and taekwondo because those are more readily around which i don't understand those are martial arts yes
1: but they're not hands-on physical martial arts they're not they're not grappling martial arts never in karate or taekwondo i would say never but because when you get to the competition aspect you do spar you do go Mm -hmm. against people but they're much more formed based especially early on you're learning movements you're learning how, where to strike how to strike how where to step where to kick you're learning positions but you're never really going against anybody else okay so you're developing confidence you're getting more fit you're getting disciplined but it's less interactive and it's less hands on so therefore it's almost i don't want to say a false sense of confidence but it really is somewhat of a false sense of confidence because unless you actually go against somebody all the time you don't really know what you're, you're capable of doing. You don't really know what kind of reaction you're going to get out of somebody else. So until you get to the sparring part of it where you're actually like learning how to defend strikes for real at full speed, then that's when you're going to be skilled as a self-defense person. But when you're never going against anybody, you don't know how to defend a takedown, you don't know how to... Then it's, you know, it's not the same. Like, judo is always... You can do judo 100% against the other person. You never have to hold back and you will not hurt them and vice versa. I'll go against any guy in my dojo and if I throw them, they get right back up. If I choke them, they'll tap out, they'll come right back at me again. I'll arm lock them, I'm not breaking their arm, they'll tap out, we'll, get, we'll keep going hard. As hard as I can go and as hard as they can go, we'll, we'll just keep training. We both get better, we both get stronger, and we both walk out of the dojo and go have a meal together, right? But it, you can't do that in boxing. You can't just, like, punch someone in the head as hard as you can. Right. You have to hold back. Same in karate. You're not going to kick someone in the skull as hard as you can. You're not going to kick them in the ribs. You're not going to try to take their knee out because they're not going to be able to walk. You know, you'll knock them out. So it's it's one of the only sports you can actually do 100% against somebody in a real self-defense situation, where they're giving you their best and you're giving them th- your best every single exchange, and it's real. I can't punch them. I can't kick them because that's against my rules. But pretty sure that if I grab anybody that does punch and kick, that they'll be on their butt quick. And you know they're not used to fun- punching and kicking off of their back. So that's why you know the UFC. You know guys, when you look at MMA grapplers, that can't take the other person down, that is forced to fight on their feet, usually don't do well. The boxers that don't know how to stop a takedown or a striker that doesn't know how to stop a takedown, they don't do very well. So I think judo brings, to, you know, brings an element of, of, it teaches the humility because one person is getting knocked down every single day. Right? And the bigger kid or the better kid is going to throw me and then I'm going to throw the person that's not as good as me. And it's this cycle of trying to get to be the best kid in the room. So you're always striving to get better. And regardless of size, it's skill that matters. So you learn very quickly that it's not the, the size of the dog in the fight.
4: So let me ask about that. I took judo a bunch mm-hmm. of years ago. And sure. I never sort of jiu-jitsu'd anybody or judo throwed anyone on the street. But I fell a couple of times. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking across a parking lot and hit the ice, mm-hmm. slipped, fell, saw the way I fell. And it was just like they taught me in class, mm-hmm. right? And there's that whole aspect of learning not only how to defend yourself because you can throw somebody over your head, but mm-hmm. also right how you can fall, Absolutely. right? Absolutely, yes. So you're teaching people sort of how to adapt to that kind of stress as well. Is that kind of fair to describe Absolutely. it? Absolutely, 100%.
1: When, when you train in judo, you learn to protect your body. The first thing you protect is your head. So the first thing we're taught is we always tuck our chin. So if I fall and slip backwards on a sheet of ice and I fell backwards my head would never hit the ice because I'm taught to control my own head, right? So I'm never going to have a concussion because my back is going to take the fall. My head isn't going to snap back because the muscles in my neck are trained to, to hold chin to chest. Yeah. If I fall from a high situation or I you know, get by a car and I happen to roll over a hood or something like that, I'm never going to stick my arm out to protect my fall. I'm always going to roll through the fall. Because that's how we're taught, you know. If you and you never in judo ever land on one body part, you dissipate the force of the fall through your entire body, as much of your body as you can. Yeah. So you're gonna roll from your fingertip all the way down your elbow onto your shoulder, across your back, and the very last thing that's gonna hit the floor is your pinky toe. Your whole leg and knee, and then your toe is gonna hit. So that force is gonna be dissipated through your whole body. So you're gonna learn to protect yourself. I mean, I've been out running jogging in different towns and sometimes you don't you know you hit a tree branch or something that's sticking up off the ground you don't see the high spot on the ground and i've actually kicked it and tripped and instead of sticking my hands out and scraping up my arm you know my forearms and my palms i've actually just tucked my head rolled and kept running <laughs> and i saw and people actually were driving oh my god that guy just fell and tripped how funny and they're like, Oh my god! He just got up and ran away. Like was that a mistake or? But it, it, it's inst- it becomes instinct. Yeah. Same falling down a flight of stairs and stuff like that. You know, my head's not going to snap back and hit that step. It's—it's it's gonna, my back is going to be scarred maybe in the back of my legs. But you do learn to protect yourself. It's a great form of self-defense when it comes to things like that. Yeah, absolutely. So
3: really, judo is good for
1: elderly people yes because then then you know how to
3: fall if you're going to be prone to falling you would know how to fall
1: the other thing that judo does is it is it increases bone density and strength because your body is is it's almost like strength training all the time and when it hits the floor there's a lot of impact that's going on your body becomes very very hard it almost protects itself because when you're when you're doing judo training you're landing on almost every part of your body all the time. Your knees hitting the floor, the side of your shins are hitting the ground, side of your legs, your biceps, your triceps, your elbows, everything's used to taking a beating. It's taking a pounding all the time. Not just from the other guy, but from the mat. So, what happens is your body starts to protect, learn to, it naturally protects itself and, and, and puts a layers of muscle and, and fibers in there that protect itself. So, I remember going in for, looking to go in for surgery. The doctor took an X-ray of my bones and he said, "Man, he goes, what is it that you do?" <laughs> I said, "Why? Because <laughs> I've been doing judo since I was two. He says, "Well, I'm, uh, one thing's for sure, I'm glad I, I'm glad I don't have to cut any of your bones." He said, "Because they get so they're so dense. Wow, they're 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 so big and dense compared to what I normally see. But again, it 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 helps with you know make make a stronger, more more durable. I've never broken anything." Fing, you know, maybe fingers and, and ligaments in my hands and my toes, but like no major bones I've ever broken. Yeah, I've played every sport imaginable. You know, disc problems and things like that, but not <laughs> nothing bone related or you know. Yeah. So it's interesting. But elderly people, absolutely, learning how to fall and and if they slip or they fall, I mean that's the biggest thing. My grandmother, she didn't do judo, but when she was ninety, she fell and broke her hip, and at that point she had the we had to move her out of her house into a nursing home because or an assisted living facility because she couldn't walk you know and it was that it it wasn't that she her brain went or physically she couldn't just she broke her hip and that was it
3: wow fascinating we had a question from one of our listeners listener patrick wanted to know about the progression of judo people going into mma because kayla's got a fight coming up Mm -hmm. what do you think of that
1: well, most the, the, the challenge with judo players is that, as we stated earlier in this podcast, in other countries, those people are stars. Mm-hmm. So in, in Brazil, the Olympic athletes, the highly proficient athletes in Brazil, in France, in Japan, they're the stars of their country for their sport. And in the, the culture of judo and the International Judo Federation, they have shunned mixed martial arts you are almost you are blackballed from Judo if you even decide to do mixed martial arts they do not want you to associate with Judo at all any longer so you're talking about people who make their livings from their countries and their sport they don't even think about doing mixed martial arts because they're going to ruin their future livelihood in the sport that they they love and they're known for so when they make a decision to go do mixed martial arts that's it they're out of Judo for good wow in those countries. They're not ever going to be welcome back to, to coach a team or to be involved in judo ever again. So they have to make that conscious decision. So we don't get a lot of our top athletes ever going into mixed martial arts. Because, number one, they're all foreign. We only have a few champions in this country, right, that, that have won at the Olympic level. Of those people, most of them are female, right? Because Kayla and Rhonda, mm-hmm. they're both females, right? Travis is one, but he doesn't want to do mixed martial arts. So we haven't had a lot of high-level judo players in this country try to do mixed martial arts. And usually when we do, those people have already dedicated an entire lifetime to the sport of judo and given up all kinds of money and and fame and whatever else to pursue judo. So by the time they finish judo, they're poor, they don't have a lot of money, they got to start a life and to now learn mixed martial arts and do mixed martial arts when I'm 30 years old I'm only setting back my real life again another five or ten years. Right. Because you can't instantly be good at MMA. Mm-hmm. It takes a long time. Yeah. Kayla's in a good spot. She decided to start mixed martial arts when she's 25 years old. She, she was paid by the World Series of Fighting, now the Professional Fight League. She was paid a salary every month just to train. See if you like it. So wow. she got paid a salary to go and commentate for the World Series of Fighting and now the PFL. She got paid a salary to do that and to train mixed martial arts. If you ever fight mixed martial arts, we want you in this organization. And they offered her really good money. So you're talking about a monthly stipend to an athlete who has no income coming in after the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Because what people fail to realize is that Kayla won her second gold medal in the Olympics. And at the end of that rainbow, there was nothing. It's nobody's fault, but, you know, she used to get a monthly stipend by USA Judo to train judo mm-hmm. and she got a good salary to do judo
3: what's a good she, salary for for judo what's a good salary for USA, so
1: maybe? for kayla what she was earning as a salary for judo between what she received from usa judo and the u.s olympic committee because they both contributed to sort of her salary mm-hmm. before her retirement the run up till rio she was making like seventy two thousand dollars a year to just do judo
3: okay
1: now that doesn't include any money that any sponsors gave her that didn't include every trip was paid for above and beyond that so you're talking about traveling around the world all expenses paid you're getting a salary of this just to do judo okay and then you can win prize money at all the judo tournaments you go to you can accept money from all your sponsors you know so she's making you know buck and a half okay a year just to do an amateur sport, which is great money for amateur sports in this country, right? right? Yeah. So she's and able to make a good living.
3: I would imagine that there's not that many people that make that no. money. No, no, she's Kayla special. Olympic yeah. champion, right? Right.
1: Yeah. But we had others, you know, Marty Malloy was mm-hmm. an Olympic medalist, and she was not as much as Kayla, but a little bit less, and okay. Travis was a little bit less than that, and then Nick Del Popolo was a little bit less than that. So we okay. had five paid athletes, okay, all making a minimum of like 40000 a year to do okay. judo. You know, it's pretty good for an amateur athlete. Mm-hmm. And they can do clinics on the side and, you know, they can put together a good portfolio and live a life, but do judo full time. Okay. So, but, you know, now once Kayla gets steps off the mat in Rio, USA judo, no more salary. U.S. Olympic Committee, no more salary. Sponsors now, you know, it'll go to the end of the sponsorship, which is maybe the end of the year. After that, all income shuts off. What do you do? Yeah, wow. Okay, so here comes World Series of Fighting. We're going to pay you this amount of money. All we want you to do is train MMA and see if you like it. Come commentate at six events for us, and we'll pay you. And if you fight, we'll pay you some money. And for her, that probably makes her first fight probably 20 times what somebody makes in the UFC for the first time fighting. It was a good deal. Yeah. A really good deal for her. So do I blame her for doing mixed martial arts? The day she won her second Olympic medal... The press asked her, Are you fighting mixed martial arts? My answer was, Hell no. Are you ever gonna fight Judo again? I said, Hell no. Why would you do that? You're already a world champion, two time Olympic champion, time to enjoy life, time to move on, what's the next chapter? I thought that she'd be have all sorts of opportunities to do nine million things. Speaking engagements, write a book, do a movie, you know, a couple of corporate sponsors, go, you know, meet people, whatever. Zero. So, now what? Mixed martial arts, here we come. That's why the decision to do it. And, and if she, she will do it, right? And, and she's taking it very professionally. And, you know, probably year one, mixed martial arts after four fights. And she make a half a million dollars. And then re-sign and then make another million after that. And then maybe when she's, you know, 8-0, Talk about a super fight with the UFC champion or something like that and make a couple million. So that's the game plan.
4: One of the things that sort of strikes me about the smaller sports like judo when it comes to the Olympics, in the especially in the United States, is that there's kind of this Darwinistic thing of if you get over the hurdle, whatever that wall is, and I'm not quite sure where it is, there is... A lot or some support waiting for you yes but for everybody else kind of getting up to that wall they've got to piece it together kind of any way that they can is that right i mean bootstrap it yeah
1: yeah so that's the challenge and one of the reasons for that is that most of the other sports have a natural development model in place right yeah so if you are if you're a swimmer you, know, you, you compete in swimming at the junior high school level or, you know, the, the junior Olympic type of level where you're going to meets all the time. And then from there, you go into your high school team and you you're, get a varsity letter for high school. And then you've got stiff competition along the way. But if you rise to the top, then you get a college scholarship and you get to go off and you're going to get go to college for free. So you might not be making 50, 60 G's a year, but you're saving yourself in the long run 50 or 60 or $80,000 in, in bills tuition that you got to pay and that's your natural projection to get the olympics you're being supported by your school you got a place to live you got a place to train full-time you got a place to compete every day to get better and if you rise to the top of that you're going to the olympics right in judo there's no school there's no high school there's no college there's no there's no place to get competition unless you leave this country the only way you leave this country it takes a lot of money yeah to get good at judo Whereas in those other sports, you can get good. You never have to leave the state. Same with track and field, swimming, all those sports. You're going to get as good as you need to get right here in this country. Same with wrestling. We're the the best country in the world right now in wrestling. But we've got a feeder system. You do youth wrestling. You do high school wrestling. You do college wrestling. You rise to the top of that. You go to the training center. You become an Olympic. You learn freestyle. And there's a natural progression to the top. We just stay in America and do it. You can't do that in this country in Judo. And when you need the money the most is when you're developing. But there's no development model, school system model for us to develop judo players in this country. So it's really hard.
4: Do you think that could change?
1: Maybe not in my lifetime. Okay. It 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 can change. It can. I mean, we have a talent identification camp going on right now called Project Twenty Twenty Four. So, me and some of the guys in the sport have decided that, you know, the Olympic level athletes are already looked after. How do we get the younger generation to stay in the sport, to stay motivated, to identify those kids and then give them some sort of uh, system that gives them the skills and the drills and access to information, access to camps, clinics, competitions, and coaching at a younger level so that the kid that's 13 or 14 or 15 that's very talented doesn't just leave. When he goes to college, he goes off and quits judo, that he stays in the sport and feels like if I go on this path, then I'm I'm on my Olympic journey. Right. Because we lose a lot of them in high school. That's the year. That's the age. Usually the kids in judo drop off because they get no recognition from their peers. There's no high school anything. So they go play football or wrestling or something else. They become letter athletes, and then they go off to college. They forget about judo because the college they go to doesn't offer judo. So they quit. So unless they're near a, a club like mine. You know, there's a there's probably a handful of clubs in this country. There's one in Florida. There's you know San Jose in California. There's one in Chicago. But if you didn't go to school right there, yeah, you're not doing judo anymore on a serious level because they don't have the infrastructure to help you get good. Interesting.
4: And if if there was that ability, right, to put it into the high schools or put it into the mm-hmm. into the college level, mm-hmm. do you think that we would become more competitive? I mean it's always interesting to me how the judo folks have to go or like you say they have to go around the world because there's just not the competition here as you do the project 2024 and and i know that you've gone around and you do like seminars and things it seems almost like kind of very grassroots kind of guerrilla development right Mm -hmm. but will it spark will it catch do you think
1: it will only catch if it becomes financially viable for the instructor so like for Travis Stevens, for example, right, Olympic silver medalist, after the Olympics, there has to be a place for him in the sport of judo where he can earn a living mm-hmm. doing judo full-time, coaching. Like, it's, it, it's, it's a huge injustice to any Olympic athlete to win a medal and then have to leave the sport in order to make a living, which is the situation Travis was in. Right. So whether he goes to a national training center and becomes a national paid coach, he should be somehow involved in the next next generation coming up. You just spent, whatever, a million dollars over his career sending him around the world to learn the knowledge he has inside his head and his body. You can't allow him to leave. You've already invested too much. Keep him. Yeah, yeah. So, So what we don't have is we don't have a mechanism to pay our coaches in this country other than they have to go, if they're not business people, they can't run a dojo. So how do they make a living? There has to be something. Until there's something for those types of people, and I'm talking just Olympic medalists, I'm talking about every athlete who, who made it to a national champion level in this country should be able to make a living from our sport. Right. Because when you have good coaches, then you have good players. When you have lots of good coaches, you have lots of good players. You have lots of good players, then you have more good players. And it just it catches on and snowballs that way. But it won't, it won't happen until everybody can be full-time jobs. professional so what Jiu Jitsu has done right? Jiu Jitsu has taken all these guys from Brazil there's a mechanism in place leave Brazil get your visa come to America go spend time at Henzo's school or Hillian's school or somebody's school learn learn how to run a school and well they're going to help you finance you're going to move an hour from me go open a school over there you go open a school there and all their students are opening schools and they're finding a place that's not competitive there's not a lot of other schools and they're jumping in and the sport is growing because the instructors are coming from other countries, and they can make a living here from it.
4: Yeah.
1: All these, I, say, I know. I, I outfit all their gyms with my mats. I build their training. <laughs> I build their training centers. That's what I do for a living. Yeah. I build people's training centers, and I outfit them with gis and gear. So, in Brazilian Judo, is our biggest customer, but they're able to professionalize it. Until Judo has professional coaches that can do it full time, we will never be a, a thriving sport. <sighs>
3: score! Same partner! Thank you so much, Jimmy, for all the time you gave us and letting us also watch some of your Project 2024 kids in action. That was really cool to see. So if you are into judo and you want to hear another great interview with Jimmy Pedro, you should check out episode 300 of the Grappling Central podcast at grapplingcentral.com. Ryan Ford, who runs that show, has really interesting conversation with Jimmy that's a little bit more technical than the one that we had, but I highly recommend it because it was fascinating as well. And I want to give another shout out to Mark Gillespie at WhiskeyCast for his microphone advice, which really helped me be able to capture some judo sounds. So if you love all things whiskey, check out his show at WhiskeyCast.com and I'll put links to those in the show notes. So we talked about Kayla Harrison's MMA fight during The interview? Yes. That's actually happening tonight as we tape. So it's August 15th today. The interview is happening tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern. It's going to be on NBC Sports and also streaming on NBCSports.com slash live and the NBC Sports app. So I've tweeted that out. Hopefully we'll get to catch it and see how she does. I got to tell you, oh, my gosh. He was so amazing. Right, Ben? Yeah,
4: he was a great guy to talk to, and he was really smart and motivational and you you walk out of there and you feel like i've been around people who are really striving to do their best and it makes you kind of want to stand up a little straighter and and work a little harder at whatever it is you're doing if anything i just kind of wish we could have gone out on the mat with him he had his his development team there and they were working on preparing for for big competitions and and they worked hard while we were there but it looked like a lot of fun at the same time
3: it did did. and he and Allison he was walking around in his Rio 2016 gi that had his name embroidered on it I know oh man he was pulling out it it wasn't like he was pulling out the steps but you know you knew you were around the
2: man I want him to be my life coach right oh my gosh I just want him to do everything I just want him to come over every once in a while with his fabulous Boston accent and just yell at me and tell me what I need to do to be a better person. He, that interview was so much fun. I'm jealous that I didn't get to meet him because he just he seems like so genuine in his work and his humanity. And I just love when we get to meet people like that.
3: Well, maybe we can go back up and he can teach us how to fall because although we are ageless wonders, we should all know how to fall.
2: Yes. And we all know that I am a (laughs) klutz and knowing how to fall would be very handy.
3: You know, you know what else I thought was fascinating? Because, you know, I always find the money aspect fascinating. Yes. But it was interesting when we were sitting there and I thought talking about the money that the elite athletes get, and you, of course you're only talking about a handful of people, right? And you think, oh, Kayla Harrison's making 150,000 at the height of her career in judo from from doing judo, and you you know you might think, oh, that's pretty good money, but it's not good money when you think about other professional athletes.
2: Oh you know. yeah, I mean that's not even the base salary. For a professional baseball player, right?
3: Oh, it's crazy to think that, and I I don't know. It's it's really hard to see people love to do something, and the fact that the Olympics has always been faster, higher, stronger. You know, there's an interesting dichotomy between the we want to be faster, higher, stronger, which involves more and more dedication to a sport. And yet there's still that element of amateurism and, oh, you should really be doing this in your spare time, kind of from the old school. This is a sport, or these are games for gentlemen who have the money to do this in their leisure time kind of thing. Yes,
2: richer is not one of the hallmarks of the Olympics. Well, we should say at
3: least the athletes
2: aren't getting any richer.
3: No, most of them not. I mean, you got the rarefied few or if the professionals can come in and play their sport, but it's really hard. And it's, it's really sad to see someone who has won two gold medals get like almost nothing out of it or nothing that, that sustains them. And she should really be able to keep practicing her sport in a way to help the next generation. Yeah,
2: you are not, we, you're some... not you're not going to bring me down after the Jimmy Pedro speech, though. No, I am I'm not. not letting you
3: destroy <laughs> my vibe after I heard
2: that. No All right. way. <laughs>
3: okay, Ben, bring her back.
4: Oh uh, well, no. I mean, I think yeah, Sometimes we think about the athletes, and we think, well, gee, if you if you win a gold medal, somehow you en- you enter this rarefied world that a lot of your your problems are solved. And I think one of the things that Jimmy talked about and, and that's true is that you have to take all of those tools that made you that gold medal athlete and apply them to the rest of your life. And you have to figure out how to do that. It was interesting when he said, Kayla won her second medal. Okay, now it's time to go and live your life and do something else. And you've got nothing to prove competitive wise. So now you've got to take those skills and and use them and 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 build a bigger life. And I think he understands that. I think that in in a lot of ways we hear about people kind of sacrificing for their sport and pushing forever. But one of the things that he sort of seemed very conscious of was how do I make those skills transfer into being just kind of a better person.
3: But I think that's inherent in the nature of judo as a martial art too.
2: Right, because he talked about the the spiritual aspects and the the mind-body connections and those parts of it. So it makes sense.
3: I don't know. It's fascinating and it I really appreciated getting to go and talk with him and learn more about it. I think it's, it's a really interesting sport. I'm really fascinated to watch it for Tokyo. I mean, because, you know, not just because I know more about the sport, but it will be interesting to see the Japanese in their home country with their top sport and how, mm-hmm. you know, what pressure do those athletes face? And also, you know, the crowds are gonna be amazing.
2: Right, th- because those will be knowledgeable crowds. Yes, that won't be just random people who this is what they got tickets to. Right, they'll they'll understand the scoring, except for maybe two of us. <laughs> <laughs> but now you know. Now I know. And you can wave at Jimmy when his, his kids are there. That's true. That's I'm sure very he will true. We'll be back again.
3: Hope so. Hope so. Well, thank you so much, Ben, for setting that up. That was a lot of fun. Really eye opening. This weekend is the USA Gymnastics National Championship, which is taking place here in my Boston hometown area. So Olympian Simone Biles is competing in that. And the big news here is about Allie Raisman not being invited to the <gasps> show. Well, okay, so here's the deal. This is what, you know, this is how the story plays out. Because, of course, this is now front page news on the Boston Globe today. But she is a Hall of Famer, so she gets two tickets. To to go in. I guess she'll be there on Sunday with her her free tickets. And USA Gymnastics has invited 2008 medalists because it's the 10th anniversary of Beijing. So they wanted to honor them. And they said, well, because, you know, she wasn't at Beijing 2008, we don't invite everybody to come. That's USA. That's gymnastics saying that and other people are saying well you know she should be invited because uh, they're in her backyard because Allie Allie doesn't live that far from me.
2: Right She's. I mean she's a local.
3: Yes so that's a good fascinating story to watch. Gee
2: I wonder why she wouldn't be invited to a USA gymnastics event. (laughs) Outspoken (laughs) Allie Raisman having a few things to say about USA gymnastics.
3: I can imagine they're not happy but I, I also see her side. I mean, you know, it just keeps piling on what we keep finding out about what has been happening with this, the, this whole sexual abuse scandal. And I think what's frustrating that you hear from the gymnasts, because Simone Biles said something about this today, and Allie Raisman has said this, like, USA Gymnastics is not really saying anything. Right. So that, it's well, got to be Because they're yes. getting sued left right. and right. So right, right,
2: exactly. I mean, I don't want to defend USA Gymnastics in this situation because they are a very large group of, in my opinion, very horrible people right now. Right. <sighs> but they can't say anything. But they should never have gotten themselves in this mess in the first place. Right.
3: And this is just the tip of the iceberg because you know that they're getting sued
2: USOC is going to get sued. It's just going to be a bad situation all the way around. Yeah. And it's be interesting to see what else comes out. Right? Or and not it, you know interesting. and a continuing upsetting.
3: yes, upsetting and a continuing bad situation for everyone who has suffered from this whole yeah. situation. So It'll be an interesting weekend to follow in the local news. So, yeah. if I was going to say, if you're going, listeners, if you happen to be in town and you are going to the champs, tweet at me at Olim Fever because I'm planning on checking them out at least one of the days. So maybe we meet. Who knows? Well, that is going to wrap it up for this week. Next week, we are so excited. If you have been following along on our Facebook page, you will see that Allison and I got up Mondo early, and and Ben too, because Ben helped out with sound, to go rowing with gold medalist Tessa Gobo. We will have highlights from our rowing excursion where nobody fell into the Charles. And Spoiler alert, I didn't drown. (laughs) Just but I did want to say If you want to see what Tess is doing now In her retirement from rowing She's taken up roller derby And she plays with uh, the Boston Massacre from the Or Boston Roller Derby League And they are competing in the Women's Flat Track Derby Association Continental Cup East this weekend It's in Kalamazoo, Michigan If you happen to live in that area Check it out Otherwise, go to WFTDA.tv and you can get a pass to watch it live. I know their first game is on Saturday. I believe it's at 10 a.m. because they are the number one seed. And Tessa plays the role of jammer. And she is, that is the point scoring position. And she is quite good. I would expect she would be. I'm very excited for them. On that note, thank you so much for listening. And We'll catch you back here next week. And in the meantime, keep the flame alive.
0: We love to hear from you. Email us at info at com, or leave us a voicemail at 530-763-3837. That's 530-70-FEVER. You can also interact with us on social. We're Fever on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, keep the flame alive.
1: So there's more to it than just go grab the pajamas and throw them.